Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Did you know that Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone except for Jesus? Did you know that Jesus spoke to Peter more than anyone else in the Gospels? Let's open our Bible now to 1 Peter 1 and take a look at this incredible man of God, the Apostle of Jesus, Simon Peter. Good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. Hopefully everyone is doing well. Uh, We are blessed here in Texas and uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. So today we're going to do something uh, a little different. We, uh, we, I get different requests from different people about different things. And so today we're going to, we're actually going to discuss first Peter chapter one, verses one and two. It's only two verses, but I'm going to, I'm going to get into a little exposition about, uh, Peter and the life of Peter. Um, Peter wrote two books in the Bible, uh, first and second Peter. Okay. Um, again, there have been some, uh, some people who just want some more just information about the Bible. There are people who are interested in different aspects of theology, um, and, uh, different doctrines, um, as well as just different biblical facts and interesting things. And as you know, at Kingdom Discipleship, we, you know, we try to keep the teaching where we're teaching verse by verse through the scriptures, because that's our lane. That's what we do. Um, that's what the Lord has called us to do. But at the same time, certainly, you know, um, we can discuss topical doctrines and, and I can, um, and, you know, obviously other, you know, um, facts about the Bible and about the people of the Bible. And so, um, there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 39 books in the old Testament, 27 books in the new Testament. And Peter wrote two of the new Testament books and they're called first Peter and second Peter. They're two different level, uh, two different books written by the apostle Peter, uh, later in his life. So we are in first Peter one. Um, we're going to discuss, um, verses one and two. There are tremendous ramifications in these two verses. Um, it's going to talk about election and about God's choosing. And these are very complex doctrines that the vast majority of Christians have not only any thought about, but most Christians have little care about it. Uh, they get very complex and very deep, but at the same time, they are very, very important. Uh, certainly when you, when you go to Bible school or you go to seminary, you're required to learn these, uh, these significant doctrines. Um, and, and again, they are important, but, uh, generally these doctrines are, are reserved for, for certain church denominations. Um, reform theology is a, is a, uh, is a place where, they, they, they really, they really hone in on these things. And again, these things are important. Um, again, they're not more or less important. The whole Bible is the word of God. And, and normally we teach the scriptures. I do with a focus on applying the word of God and living according to the word of God. Um, and so today we're going to, uh, again, we're going to discuss these two verses, verses one and two, and we're going to unpack them. And like I said, we're going to get into a little bit about, uh, you know, some interesting facts about the Apostle Peter 
that uh, I'm sure you'll find very interesting. So we'll go ahead and pray. We'll invite the Lord into our time and then we will get rolling. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word of God. Lord, we thank you that we have these amazing things now, these tablets where I can go back and forth from the word of God to uh, just different notes that I'm reading, Lord. And uh, we just thank you, Father, for your favor and your blessing and your mercy and your goodness on our lives, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, uh, that in the body of Christ, Father, as Christians, Lord Jesus, I pray that that we would increasingly use technology and the advancement of your kingdom more and more and more and more, um, as opposed to just in worldly pursuits. Holy Spirit, we thank you and praise you for this word. We ask you to lead us and guide us now. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open the word of God, the holy scriptures, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So. We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So verse one starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to give a few facts about Peter here that, uh, that I think you're going to find pretty interesting. Um, Peter is, of course, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, he's one of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose at the beginning of his ministry. Um, and Peter is, is the most well-known of them all. Peter is spoken about more than any of the others in all of the New Testament, in all of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Peter um, is spoken about and spoken to by Jesus more than any other apostle. And that's very interesting. Um, it's interesting that Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone except Jesus. So again, now these are going to be things um, most of us, most of you have never heard. And they're pretty interesting facts. So Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. Okay, so thank you, Lord Jesus, that Jesus' name is mentioned the most. The person who's mentioned second to most, all right, and someone might think it's Mary, um, others might think it's John, um, but no. After Jesus, Peter's name is mentioned more than anyone else in the Gospels. So that's certainly an interesting fact. Um, no one speaks in the Gospels. The Gospels record the different apostles speaking, no one speaks in the Gospels as often as Peter did. No one. Okay, so when we, when we read in the Gospels, people, people speaking to Jesus, people talking to others, Peter speaks more than anyone else. Peter is recorded in the Gospels. His words are recorded more than any other person. Again, obviously beside Jesus, right? Um, 
And it's interesting that of, of all the people Jesus spoke to, okay, of all the people that Jesus ever spoke to, Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any other individual as recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, again, you see this, um, this, this tremendous uh, focus in relationship that the Gospels have on the Apostle Peter, on Simon Peter, right, Pop? So, um, it's interesting. Um, and now here's some other facts that I think you'll enjoy. Um, Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. <laughs> so, so that's interesting as well, right? So, and, and those things probably go hand in hand, meaning, meaning Peter spoke more than any of the others and Peter was rebuked more than any of the others, right? Um, the scriptures say that, that when words are many, sin is not absent. And again, you'll see that scripture at the bottom. Um, try to grasp this. Peter was the only disciple who dared to rebuke Jesus. Right? You remember when, when uh, Jesus was explaining to them that he was going to be crucified and, and, and Peter comes and begins to rebuke Jesus and explain to Jesus that this will not happen. And now Peter's just being himself, right? But he's talking to Jesus, talking to God, right? Now, most of us know people in our lives that are like this. We know some people that, that, that would, men and women, but, you know, who if they didn't like something Jesus said, they would come up and start rebuking him. Right. Um, uh, it should go without saying that this is always wrong, Matthew. OK, it's never our job to rebuke Jesus. OK, Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus is God. Um, it's never for us to disagree with Jesus. It's never us to be never for us to be contrary with Jesus. Uh, my brother, Tom, who's a, the senior elder at Kingdom Discipleship, you know, he is uh He's always been firm in every way, as all of us should be, that if Jesus says anything, if Jesus does anything, if, if you see Jesus act in any particular way or not act in a way, it is for us to emulate these qualities in Jesus, right? When you don't see Jesus get angry, when you don't see him get frustrated, when you see him... Um, you know, just how you see him minister, when you see him explain things, when you see him speak a truth, Jesus is never wrong. Let me say that again. Jesus is never wrong. Jesus is perfect. He never spoke, thought, or did anything wrong. Sinless. The sinless man, right, Jason? Jesus is absolutely sinless. That means he never spoke a word that was sinful. He never did a deed that was sinful. And think about this. He never had a thought that was sinful. That is remarkable. I have a, uh, a, a big brother in Christ. He's, a, he's just a, a wonderful brother of mine. His name, is, his name is Jason. And he wrote a book named The Sinless Man. 
And I had the privilege of reading that before it uh, went into production or, you know, before it was available to any, everyone. It's, uh, it's a very good book. I recommend it. The Sinless Man. Um, so, yes, Peter actually in a, in a temporary moment of insanity rebukes Jesus. Um, but now think about this. Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple as well. So although he dared rebuke Jesus, and in that moment he was in turn rebuked by Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus referred to him as Satan, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple. So although Peter makes some missteps, Peter is a uh, is as bold as they come for Jesus. Um, you'll find this interesting. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. So again, although G Peter is rebuked by Jesus more than any other. Peter is also praised by Jesus more than any other. And so you see, you know, we can see a picture in Christianity here that's, uh, that's very, very important. Um, think about those two things. Peter is rebuked by Jesus more than any other disciple, Scott, but he's also praised by Jesus more than any other disciple. So what you want to what you really want to see there is that Peter is willing willing to put himself out there. Right? He's willing to uh you know um just really go out on a limb, right? Now often he acts impulsively. Often, you know, he gets it wrong. And and you'll notice in those moments Jesus does rebuke him. Okay. And when we look at Jesus as a side note, you know, he's a pattern for us as a minister, right? In ministry, Jesus was one who would continually praise and affirm people in love, but he would also rebuke people um, and correct them where they were out of, out of place. And, and, and that's our job as a minister is to have a balance of delivering the love of God um, and correction. Um, now, obviously, we live in a culture where people don't want to be corrected. It's it's our job as Christians and as ministers, but really as all Christians, to first correct ourselves, right? You don't want to praise yourself. Let Jesus and others do that. But it is our job to correct ourselves and then lovingly exhort others to, to Christ-likeness. And as I've said many times, I am uh, I'm very blessed in my life that I have uh, I have seemingly dozens of very close relationships of people who are uh, lovingly willing to correct me. Um, and I have a very loving wife, my wife, May, who is, uh, you know, the most important and most blessed relationship in my life after Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, she is consistently pointing me in the right direction. And, and mind you, in ways that I need. Um, so thank you, sweetheart. Um, so 
what we see in Peter and, and what we want to adapt to our own lives as Christians is we see Peter as a model. You could see all the different disciples, right? And they have different personalities and you can see uh, traits that are in us as Christians. But in Peter, we can see a guy that although he makes a lot of mistakes, I mean, Peter, Peter steps out and, you know, and does things and says things that are, uh, that get the praise of Jesus like no one else does. Um, so again, Jesus praises Peter more than any other disciple. Um, on the other end of it, um, Peter denies Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. It was interesting. Again, Peter was very assertive. Jesus explained to them that, that they would all betray him. And Peter boldly said, I'll never betray you. I'll die. And Jesus tells Peter, I tell you the truth that, you know, after the rooster crows three times, you know, you'll deny me three times, right? After the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Um, and, you know, you will see that, you know, after Peter denies him, Peter will hear the rooster crow. Um, um, so, and then finally, you know, it's interesting that Jesus addressed Peter as Satan alone among the disciples. And again, that was when Peter was rebuking him. Jesus was explaining that he needed to go to the cross, um, you know, to die for the sins of the world. And obviously nobody wants that to happen. Um, because they don't understand. Um, and he begins to tell Jesus that ne this will never happen. He's not going to do this. And, and Jesus, you know, looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And again, this certainly speaks to all of us. The negative aspects we can see in Peter, if we look into ourselves um, candidly, and frankly and honestly, if we look into ourselves, right, um, and we're willing to take a, a good, honest look at ourselves, then, you know, we'll see that the negative aspects we see in Peter, really, we have most of them, if not all of them. Unfortunately, today, most of us as Christians do not have anywhere near the positive aspects, the boldness for Jesus, the love for Jesus, the just the zeal and the passion for Jesus that the apostle Peter, you know, possesses. Um, and so those are some interesting things. Um, you know, um, there are, there are confusing things. Okay. There are denominations that believe that, you know, um, you know, they believe Peter is the first Pope. They believe, um, and Peter certainly was a leader of the church. They believe that the church is built on the foundation of Peter. Um, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that when Jesus says to Peter, you know, on this foundation, I'll, I'll, I'll build my church. It was on the boldness in the truth that's, that, that, uh, Peter spoke. Uh, when Peter said to the disciples, you know, who do men say I am? And they tell him, and then, and then, uh, and then Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, flesh and blood 
you know, human beings did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, right? And you're Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church. And what Jesus is speaking of there is not Peter himself, but on the revelation that, that Jesus Christ is the rock, right? That Jesus himself is the rock and the church will be built on the revelation of Jesus Christ, not on the human man, Peter. And so there's some confusion about that as well. Um, so anyway, there, these are some interesting facts about, uh, about the apostle Peter. Um, and again, we can go on and on and on and on about it. Um, so, you know, hopefully that makes sense to you. Um, and we're going to go back into our scripture now. So verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Unlike some of the other letters or most of the other letters that are written to churches, um, Peter's not writing to a church. Peter is writing to all Christians everywhere. And just like all other aspects of the Bible, in principle, it's all for us today. Um, Jesus Christ, right, Peyton? is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as it says in Hebrews 13, 8. Um, so to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and everywhere else in the world, every town in the world, every city in the world, this word of God from the Apostle Peter is material and relevant. It's the scripture. It's the living word of God. We need to study it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. When Peter says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, your identity is in that you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is writing as an authority of Jesus Christ. Your and I's identity the very core of who we are, Kristen, is that we belong to Jesus Christ. When all things are said and done, when your life is spent, all that will matter will be the two things. Did you belong to Jesus Christ? That will be the, the, the foundational question that's of, of that, that'll be above all things. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you called on Jesus and prayed, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinful person. I believe you are the son of God and that you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me and that you are alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart Save me from my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I place all of my trust and confidence in you alone, Lord Jesus, to save me from my sin and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Your identity in Jesus Christ begins and ends with you trusting and relying on him, knowing your complete and total need of him. Every human being that ever lived completely and totally requires Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, the salvation of their soul, that they may come into relationship with God the Father as their heavenly Father, and that they ultimately may go to heaven when they die. Without Jesus Christ, the regrettable biblical truth is that no one will see heaven and the only other place is eternal hell. 
Now, I've said before, that's not popular anymore, but that's what the Bible teaches. And therefore, it's the most loving thing we can declare. If we love people, if we care about people, if we truly love them, we don't want to see them condemned. Right, Tommy? We want to see them blessed. We want to see them saved. We want to see their sins forgiven. We want to make sure that they know Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. Because it's only in Jesus that they can be saved from eternal separation from God. And only in Jesus they can spend eternity in heaven. And you and I can. So have you done business with Jesus? I'll ask you that way. Are you trusting in him completely today for the forgiveness of your sins? Ask yourself the question, am I at this moment relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin and the salvation of my soul? Am I relying on him? And if you're not sure to the answer to that question, if the answer to that question is not a resounding and certain yes, then you need to go back to the foot of the cross. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved from your sin and go to heaven. And you want to, as I just, just rewind the tape a few minutes and call on Jesus. I just gave you a model for how to do that. It's not the words that are as important as that you mean them. That you call out to Jesus in desperation. Asking him to be the Lord of your life. Proclaiming your trust in him. And your desire for him to be your Lord and Savior. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. So the first the, the, the first of the two questions is, did you know Jesus? And then as a Christian, the only other question will be how you lived your life in Jesus, how you lived your life in advancing the gospel of God, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the Bible, the son of God, Jesus, and the kingdom of God. How did you live your life in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the word of God, and the son of God? How did you live your life led by the Spirit of God to bear fruit for the kingdom of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How did you live your life in storing up treasure in heaven and bearing fruit? Because as a Christian, you and I will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Right, Wendy? That's a, that's a very, uh, she is my sister and she has a, you know, uh, a zeal for that doctrine. She wants the whole world to know that there are two judgments um, and that a believer you know, will never be judged for their sin. If you're in Jesus Christ, that judgment happened at the cross. Um, but you will be judged for your reward in heaven. And no one will have the same reward in heaven. This will have nothing to do with your sin. Your sin was paid for when you trusted Jesus Christ by Jesus at the cross. However, the more, the more sin we live in in this life, the less effective we'll be in bearing fruit for the kingdom of God and the less reward we'll have. That's why we repent of our sin. Um, but then there's another judgment, and that's the great white throne judgment, and that's a judgment for all unbelievers, for everyone in history who did not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They'll go before another judgment, and that'll be the great white throne judgment. And you can find this in Revelation chapter 20. And um, that'll be a judgment for unbelievers. They'll be judged completely on their deeds. Because they did not have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. None of their deeds will be sufficient to make it to heaven. And according to the level of disobedience and wickedness they lived in, they'll be assigned a place in hell. On the other side, 
believers in Jesus Christ, depending on their fruitfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ, they'll be given uh, their reward in heaven and their position in heaven and how they'll experience heaven. Um, again, what you do has nothing to do with you being saved from your sin and going to heaven, but it will entirely play the role of your reward in heaven. How, after being saved, did you cooperate with the grace of God and the mercy of God and the advancement of the, king of, uh, the kingdom of God and the Son of God? Uh, living on the word of God, the Bible. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, our identity is in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. To God's elect, strangers in the world. So, Again, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to finish this message today. Um, to God's elect. Now, this word elect, there is a, um, uh, there is one of the, one of the more spoken about doctrines in the New Testament and in the church today for those who have an interest and a passion for theology and doctrine, which as a side note, all of us as Christians should have a heart to know theology and doctrine. It is important, right? Um, relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing, but you know, the scriptures do say in Timothy to watch your life and doctrine closely. Um, and so as Christians, we ought to understand things. Now the scriptures and, and they're incredible in this. When you read other religious books, they have very little depth. The scripture goes into the most remarkable doctrines, theology. It's so immense. It's so, it's so thick. And this doctrine of God's election is, is right up there at the top of the list. I just went through the doctrine of salvation with you. I just went through, uh, you know, um, you know, I just went through a very uh, cursory, you know, um, explanation of the doctrine of God's judgment and explaining the two different judgments and who would be there and why they would be there um, and what the two judgments were for and what the outcome of them would be. Um, and so I was explaining those were two doctrines I was explaining to you, the doctrine of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. And again, salvation means to be saved from your sin. Um, to be brought into relationship for the spirit of Jesus Christ to come live inside of you, to give you new spiritual life. The spirit becomes one with you in spirit. You become a child of your father in heaven, right? God, the father becomes your heavenly father. Jesus Christ becomes your Lord, your savior, your master, your king, your God. The Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your counselor, your comforter. You, be, you come into relationship with, with God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so all of these are, are doctrines, and I often give you this doctrine of salvation and what it means, right? Um, because we want everyone to be saved. It's, I believe, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that it's God's will that everyone be saved. And again, when we say saved, we mean that everyone has received Jesus Christ personally as their only Lord and Savior. They're trusting completely, totally, and only in Him for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul, and that they have genuinely done that business, so to speak, with God. They have received Jesus Christ as their, their Lord and Savior. And so, but this doctrine of election is one of the most, um, 
for in the in like the inner deep circles of Christianity, and there are churches who speak about this consistently. Um, not as much in today's uh, culture, but you know, if if you go back fifty, a hundred years, hundred fifty years, this doctrine would have been a mainstay doctrine you would hear in in churches all the time. And there are still churches who discuss it. And again, it is an important doctrine. Um, it's not essential. You understand this for salvation. Okay, that doctrine of salvation that I just gave to you, that is essential. Okay, for you to be saved, for you to have your sins forgiven, you do do need to understand that you are a sinful person and that you need a savior and that you are not it. There's nothing you can do or I can do to save ourselves. We need to call on Jesus, Scott. We need to have our full faith and trust in Christ alone. Um, that is essential to salvation. Now, this the, all the other doctrines are important, but they're not essential to salvation by any means. Okay, but that doctrine of salvation—that you're saved from your sin by God's grace alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That is essential. And you know, you've heard it said before. Perhaps you haven't that. Because there are so many different Christian denominations and because we have failed as a church and we have we have so many interpretations of the Bible and that's not okay, okay? Because it only means what it says. There is a proper interpretation and the more diligently we give ourselves to the proper interpretation, the more clear it'll become to us. But as Christian believers over various different denominations, a denomination is like, you know, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian. These are all different denominations, sects, so to speak, in the Christian faith, which is a side note. There'll be none of this in heaven. OK, you're not going to get to heaven and say, I'm looking for the Baptists. Hey, I'm with the Catholics. You know, hey, I was with the Lutherans. All of these things we have because of our human frailty. Because we can't get along. Okay. Um, it's not a good thing. Uh, the Lord in his mercy allows these things. And, you know, so that, you know, we can, you know, go to church and we can go to a church that kind of makes sense to us. Um, it would be nice if these things weren't necessary. But again, in his mercy, he allows for the different denominations. But ultimately, um, denominations, you know, they, they bring a lack of unity. And we, we ought to have unity in the body of Christ. Um, but since we unfortunately can't get along and agree, at present, I believe there's around 1,100 different Christian denominations. There won't be any of those in heaven. Um, because in heaven, you know, everything's going to be made clear. In heaven, we're not going to need to live by faith anymore. Right, Peyton? Um, so this doctrine of election, and I'll, and I'll finish with this, um, and I'll have to, to finish this the next time. Um, but what election means, okay, it says to God's elect, it's speaking of who God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Trinity have chosen to become children of God, who they have chosen to become, to be saved, who God has chosen for salvation. 
So when it says to God's elect, it's speaking of God's election, who he has elected, who he has chosen to be saved from their sin and to become children of God and to spend eternity with him in heaven. So now for many or most listening to this, that's a that's going to bring up a lot of questions in your mind because, well, wait a minute. If 1 Timothy 2.4 says it's God's will that all people be saved, why is it talking about his election of certain people being saved? If 2 Peter 3.9 says that it's God's will that no one perish, God does not want anyone to go to hell, but everyone to come to repent of their unbelief, to acknowledge that they're sinful and put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. 2 Peter 3.9 says that, that God does not want anyone to perish and go to hell, but to come to repent and know Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. So if it's his will that no one go to hell and everyone go to heaven, why is the scripture in the New Testament consistently speaking about this doctrine of God's election? And and it does clearly, okay? The New Testament does lay out very clearly this doctrine of election. The question or the argument, so to speak, or the debate or the difference in the various interpretations is not of the validity of the doctrine. The doctrine is absolute. It's clear. It's unambiguous in Scripture that there is a doctrine of God's election. The disagreement comes in entirely, I'll say this again, it comes entirely on the one point. So the church fathers of yesterday, the great theologians and scholars of yesterday and those of today, they differ on one point and one point only. We all agree, the scholars agree, um, and ones I learned from. Okay. Um, and I do my own study, but we all agree it's clear in the Bible. The doctrine of election is an absolute fact that it is in there. The one point that we don't agree on, and it is the most significant point, and really it's the only point, is, is what is the, the cause of God's election? That's the, that's what every single bit of the argument comes down to. We all agree that God's election of those who are going to be saved is clear and in the Bible in various places and it's unambiguous. The method of his election, the cause of his election, why God chose who would be saved and as a matter of course who would not be saved, that one question is what the entire doctrine circles around. And every scholar would agree with that, right? Um, every true, orthodox, sound, scriptural, biblical scholar would agree that the doctrine of God's election, of who will ultimately spend eternity in heaven with their sins forgiven in relationship with God the Father as their heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, um, uh, the, that doctrine 
is universally accepted by all sound biblical scholars, that that is a legitimate doctrine that God does elect who will be saved. It's the method of that election, to repeat this. It's the manner of that election. It's how God goes about electing who will be saved and who will not be saved. That's where the entire argument revolves, right? That's everything, right? That's where we, as, uh, you know, as Christian teachers, um, differ. And so, um, we'll get into that more. Okay. Cause it's a, it's a very, very, very large and serious topic. Um, as I said, it's not one that's, um, you know, these kind of doctrines in many churches are not brought up at all. Right. Um, but, it is important, and so we we are going to get into that next time, and we're going to finish up uh, verses one and two, Lord willing. Um, but you know, suffice it to say, where Peter says, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect," so he is speaking to those who God has elected for salvation. He's speaking to those whom God has chosen. Okay, so again. For God to elect someone means he's chosen them to be saved from their sin, to come into relationship with him as their heavenly father, right? That God chose you for this. If you know Jesus Christ today as your only Lord and Savior, and you're genuinely trusting in him, you are one of God's elect. You are one of his chosen. If you're not, as we've already said earlier, you need to be. God is calling you today to be one of his elect, one of his chosen. And if you're listening to this, you need to go back and give your life to Jesus Christ because, you know, that's how you become saved. Okay. Now, in the book of Ephesians, it said God this did this election before the world was even created. Right. So, again, there are immense ramifications to this. And as I've said already a couple of times, we all agree on the fact of this doctrine. Um, what we dif- what we disagree on is how God goes about choosing and electing who will be saved and who will not be saved. The entirety of the argument, and there are countless volumes, y'all, written on this one question. What is the methodology of God's choosing and electing individual people to be saved from their sin and those who will not, you know, how does he go about it? What, you know, what criteria does he use and does he not use? And what does the scripture teach about that? And uh, we'll get into that the next time. So Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your favor and your mercy and your goodness on our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the scriptures, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving on uh, on the heart of our big brother, Peter. Lord, when he wrote this, our spiritual father, Peter, and uh, the incredible truths we have in this letter. Holy Spirit, we ask you to go ahead of us now to bless us, protect us, and look out for us. Help us to live our lives increasingly more and more, Holy Spirit, with our focus and our mind on the Son of God and on the Word of God on the Word of God and on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. And above all, we thank you for Jesus. We love you, Jesus. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org. If you'd like to email us directly, you can reach us at contact at kingdomd.org.